Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella, and we hope you enjoyed the little interstitial episode with Ashton Goggins on Red Bull No Contest. They'll be dropping weekly every Thursday, pretty much a day before The Drop comes out with Buck, Stace, and myself. So this is going to be a typical Drop episode. Buck's going to come on, and we're going to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing. And we have a special guest. Um, I'm not going to tell you who it is, but I think you will recognize his voice pretty quickly. And this week we're going to be talking about the winners of Mixed Electric Acid Surfboard Test. This is a major spoiler alert alert, so if you don't want to find out, don't listen to this podcast. Um, we're going to be talking about the sad death of Chris Davidson. Um, it just, yeah, it's really unfortunate that, again, two weeks in a row we have like a pretty prolific surf figure pass away. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that. And our you know, special guest has some really kind of poignant thoughts on Chris's death. Um, after that, we're going to go back to Kalani David and talk about his last surf park, which we just released on the website. We're also going to be talking about a really interesting situation in which Moana Jones is now in a good position to make it into the Chopo Olympics. And we're also going to have a little tasteful piece on Europe, because why not? And a surf scene at the end, as always. So, let's get into the show. Alright, here we are. Another week of the drop. And guess what? We've got a special guest. Very special. Nathan, do you feel special? I was told I was special for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to argue with him. But yeah, I had a whole class of kids, so I don't feel that special. Yeah, okay. <laughs> me too. I think they pulled me up on like um, actually my speech at one point, which now I'm on a podcast, so take that, second was, grade. I thought it was a spelling bee. No, I won the spelling bee, I told you. Right. I think it was fifth grade. Okay. Yeah. We are here at Vans Stab High, presented by Monster Energy. The event wrapped yesterday, and now we've got a beautiful sunset, kind of a fitting end, and um, I don't want to give... I don't really want to give anything away here, but you guys feel comfortable saying something historic happened? Something big happened. Yeah, I would definitely say something historic happened, and I was kind of claiming that the whole event uh, with the Stab High platform, giving people the opportunity to do something historic, but you never know what's going to happen, but I feel like it definitely lived up to the platform. Yeah, yeah. I heard you make that claim, and I was like, yeah, I really hope it happens, and then... When it did, it was one of those moments where you know right away. It's like, okay, yeah, this is, it's honored to witness it. So Nate was right. Nate is always right. Um, and here we are. Now the sun's going down on a beautiful event. Yeah, and so we can't share that yet. Obviously, you'll be able to watch what happened when this series rolls out. The first episode drops on October 24th on Stab Premium, and then it will drop on October 27th on YouTube, and it'll be a weekly cadence like that for the next four weeks. However... In the meantime, we can share one small little anecdote that has nothing to do with the competition. Nothing. Well, a, li a little bit to do with the competition. <laughs> uh, it has to do with competition. <laughs> so um, every night, the way that this event worked, like we were basically doing a... Actually, I don't even know if I can tell that part. But anyway, there was some disgruntlement from some of the surfers about some of the calls that were made. They wanted to see some clips, review some things, make sure that the judges were making the right decisions. So at one point, Eric Geiselman, who had had a couple of red wines, he, uh, yeah, he, he got up and he sort of made his stand and he shouted at Garrett, who was hosting the thing, show us the clips, blah, 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 just, you know, his real big protest moment. It was really beautiful and funny. And um, later in the evening, we were sitting there just, you know, having a little nightcap and uh, Noah Dean was talking about it. And he was saying like, man, like, I can't believe he like went that hard. Like, I've never been at that level before. Like, that's, you know, just to like stand up and, and make a scene like that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I thought about it. I was like, 
wait, Noah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he looked at me, he's like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> he's like, that was mellow. <laughs> wow, play the clip. Play the clip and let's get into the news. <laughs> Our top story this week, Donald Brink and Matt Violas win Mick Fanning's electric acid surfboard test. Episode 4 dropped last week. We talked about it. We didn't spoil anything. And guess what? Now it's spoiled. The milk has gone bad. Here it is. Brink and Violas, they won. Although many people are saying the Shrope and Hayden look good under the feet. Yes, I agree. I think it was a really close decision. We had plenty of close decisions this week. And what we learned is that close decisions can be determined by sort of like a little extra, like that little extra 5%. And I think that when Mick is thinking about it, he's like, I like both of these boards a lot. But that little care package that Donald Brink put together, like how do you say no? You know what I mean? It's like he took that extra effort. It's just you got to give him the win. Is it super uneducated to say who's Donald Brink? <laughs> you know, before this project, I was the same person as you. Okay. So, no, it's not. It's Cause, not. Because I would think it would be Mike Riola and Matt Loyola's. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> well, I mean? so, that's just my uneducated opinion. So, what we did in this electric acid surfboard test is we took two shapers and paired them together. Some of them were knew each other, others had never met each other before, some of them were in kind of like similar genres of surfcraft, others were totally divergent. So we put Hayden Cox and Peter Schroff together, they have a bit of a sort of history. <laughs> and we put Matt Violas and Donald Brink. Donald Brink is a South African. Okay. Yeah. And they, they made a board together for Mick Fanning. Mick tested them and he picked the winner and it ended up being Donald and Matt. Nice. Well now I know. See, um, I didn't know those details and I guess I don't feel bad now about not knowing them, because how would I know? So well, maybe some of your listeners wouldn't know either. Do you feel like the saying that you learn something every day is true? Um, yes, and I do feel that maybe you hopefully learn more than one thing. Yeah. And hopefully one thing can be about yourself. Mm. Beautiful. Okay, so Nate, you ride boards that are interesting looking. They are typically shorter than you know your height or than like an average typical short board would be. And they have sometimes like a funny nose, and they, a lot of them have quads. Would you consider the boards you ride alternative boards, or? Mm, I would just say it's the board I've liked. Me and Stretch, we've worked a lot together, and it is funny because like even when you like say talk to Kelly Slater, and he laughs because he's like Nathan, you either ride a really big board or a really small board, <laughs> and and that's kind of the truth. I like to ride really big boards when the waves are big, and I like to ride really small boards when the waves are small. And it's just kind of personal preference, but I feel like you can't go off of what my personal preference is just because I like to skateboard and I've snowboarded a bunch and my legs are um, not as strong as say a lot of surfers. I'm right-handed and goofy foot, which makes things super awkward as well. And so what I ride is just what personally I've liked and what we've slowly created over 20 years of working together with me and Stretch. And so, yes, I like it. I don't know if they're alternative. I don't know if it's futuristic. Um, I just feel like it's more skate influenced. And if you're heavy on your front foot, it works good because I like to surf. I feel real forward on my board and then I like to move real far back. And so the reason like the noses are kind of square 
is because it makes the outline really straight and so they can go down the line really fast mm -hmm. and they can really hold a long line. But if I put my foot way back and then put all my weight back, it can turn really tight. And so it just kind of suits me and how I surf, which is unorthodox in a lot of ways. <laughs> and I've always been not envious, but we're gonna say like, you know, when I look at a guy like Shane Dorian, I feel like, and Kelly and Rob, you know, just different people that are, you know, they're true surfers, Parko, Mick. I, I don't envy their style, but I feel like they have great form and it's something like that I always wish I could have. And then in the, in the same sense, uh, you know, I'm really thankful that I don't have that in some ways as well, because then it tends me to not get caught up in like four to the shore and having, you know, just a pointed thrust, pointed nose thruster. And, uh, and every time I do ride that design, I just feel like, oh, that's the same as it was 20 years ago. It's the same as it is 10 years ago. And it's still the most familiar shape to me when I get on it. But I just feel like the boards that I ride kind of help me surf, um, to the best of my ability when I'm, you know, when I'm on, we'll say. And so maybe they're not the best all the time. And I definitely wouldn't recommend it to like people that, you know, are really used to thruster square tails, but I have let other people ride my boards in certain conditions and people have definitely taken a liking to them. Stretch definitely doesn't give people deals. So it's not like <laughs> anybody else is going to try them because they have a bamboo leaf spring. They're like super special blanks. He does all the, you know, the work himself. And so like for me, honestly, like watching Felipe surf and watching him surf chussels like on, um, you know, his forefin, I would really love to see somebody like that surf on it. But at the same time, it just is what it is. And so I like it. It's not an end all solution. I just feel like it's where I'm at with my shaper yeah. and we've worked really hard and has a concave deck a little bit, has deck channels um, for strength. There's a lot going on, but in the end it works well, especially in waves that are like, have a nice tight cup wedges or like say deserts or beach breaks. It really, they really perform well for me. Yeah. I just love the evolution of surfing, how it went from four to the shore to three to the beach. And now we're at Savai where all you just gotta do is one massive thing. So. I think we're we're doing better there. I like that evolution. And it is always great when there is that really good relationship between surfer and shaper and it just translates to a magic board. Even though that relationship wasn't really there, I mean, Mick has had plenty of boards we've lost in the past, but they found some magic there and it always feels good when we can pull that off. So we've actually got some audio of Donald and Matt speaking after they figured out they won. So let's hear that. Nah, congratulations. How are we feeling? Ah, it feels really good. Um, thank you. Thanks to this guy right here. Um, thanks to Stab for continuously putting together quality content. Um, celebrating the surfboard, celebrating the shapers. Um, knowing who the key talent is, working with guys like Mick, Dane Reynolds, these guys who, you know, they're not 25-year-old sky pilots anymore you know they're just um amazing surface you know <laughs> and um just putting crews together and doing great projects you know i've always said sam mcintosh the, the the man behind stab is the most important man in surfing and you guys do a great job and you put people like us in a position to shine 
and it's really special. And to do it with Donald was really refreshing in a new way to think and look and do things. And uh, for me, this is like his moment, man. This is, he's the guy. This is really cool. So here's Donald. I really respect and appreciate the hell out of you and, um, and Stab as well. Um, for me, this moment really is, has got to do with you. This, this moment in, in Stab Magazine's legacy and history has created an opportunity for hope. The hope that we can come together after chainsaws and marketing and media and make something that makes smiles. Make something that makes a difference. I, let's imagine right now, what's the time in Australia? I don't know, it's like lunchtime usually. And it, I, I only imagine that there's a new spirit of hope in Hayden and his wife and his family. I see right now in this man, Peter Schroff's eyes, there's a new spirit of hope. And you know what's brought this hope together was... For me, it was, uh, it was Stab Magazine that brought Matt and I together. But for Peter and Hayden, it was surfing that brought them together. And for you and I, it's surfing that's brought us together. So there's hope in what we do. And there's hope in staying true to what you believe in. And if you, what you believe in makes a difference for others, we're in a great place. So I appreciate... Uh, yeah, thanks. I appreciate Stab... I appreciate Mick Fanning. I appreciate the hell out of Matt Bowles. I'm so honored to work with you. Go online, lostsurfboards.net, order a model today. You got it. Thank you. Former CT surfer Chris Davidson passes away at age 45. Ah, this is a heavy one. Uh, last week we talked about Kalani David. He's actually going to come back up in this podcast, but this news broke earlier this week. As I said in the title, Dave was 45. He passed away after a pub brawl where he was punched out by a 45-year-old man and hit his head. And what can you say? This is just it's devastating. Well, um, for me... Devo was one of the iconic Australian surfing heroes for his time. He definitely, you know, lived up to what Aussies are known for, which is being super radical in the surf. And then he, I know he enjoyed some beverages afterwards. But this just goes to show that, you know, violence is definitely never the call. You can think like, oh, an easy brawl is like the macho way to end a solution. But... You know, you can get punched in the head and die from it. So for me, I just feel like it's a great reminder for like kids and anybody just to always think before you react. And because your reaction in the moment is sometimes not the right reaction. And if you think about things, especially give things a day or two to marinate on it, you'll never have that same like really aggressive approach. And so if anything, you know, if you are fighting with somebody if it's a friend, if it's, you know, just a, another person, or if it's your wife, whatever the case is, it's just a good reminder to think about, you know, what's happening and give it some time to think and then, you know, maybe react later. And if you still feel that way, that's your own fault. But 
violence is never the call, and I've never thought of it as a call. And a lot of people trying to find themselves through violence and through, you know, strong behavior and being the the tougher guy. But the real, you know, the tougher guy is the person who can actually let things go and you know resolve things peacefully. And another thing, the toughest guy in the world, or the whatever strongest guy in my opinion, would have been Bruce Lee. And you know, Bruce Lee says the fastest way to end a fight is turn around and run. Mm -hmm. And so it's just one of those cases. It's just so sad. And for me, like it sucks because Dave was younger than I was, and I remember surfing with him like when he was on the surge at Chopo and this and that. And, um, it's just a great reminder, though, just to never, you know, use violence for an answer. And it might be easier said than done, but I feel like even if you get into an argument with somebody, if you just give it some time to think about it, usually you won't have the same reaction. Yeah, it's really well said. Good call. Rest in peace there, Chris. That's what I want to say. I feel for his family, and hopefully people learn a lesson from, you know, other people's mistakes. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Davo had, he had an interesting life. He had a wild life. Um, we have two deeper dives into his life, if you want to call him that, on the site right now. We have a piece that was written by Fred Paul in 2006 called An Angel at My Table. And it was a profile of Davo's life at the time. He happened to be living with his old granny, and it, it made for some very, uh, you'll see it on the site. The, the portraits are just incredible. Like, they'll, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when you get there. So that's a long read. That's gonna take you a good 10 minutes to sit through, but it's really interesting because he's at a point in his career where he's been on the CT and fallen off and he, he's trying to get back on pretty much, or he's trying to get sponsors and do the whole thing and he was able to pull it off. He eventually got sponsored by Loss, got back on in 2010, 2011. But obviously from there, um, you know, his life recently took that tragic turn, but it wasn't great from there. There's some drunk driving incidents and. Not good stuff. So that inspired Jed Smith to also write a piece titled Davo's Death Strikes at Surfing's Core. Jed is from a similar area to Davo and he's just seen a lot of that culture, a lot of that rock and tough, drink beers, do cocaine, be crazy, be reckless, um, kind of gene that was in culture for a while and it inspired some deep thoughts from Jed and it's, a, it's another great read. It's, it's, kind of in line with what Nate just laid out, but makes some different points as well. So powerful read that one. The Fred Paul one's great as well. Go check them out. And yeah, RIP Davo, our, our thoughts, our hearts, everything are with his friends and family. It's a bummer. Well said. <laughs>
Yeah, I, uh, I think we actually covered it in the last podcast, if I remember correctly. Didn't we talk about it? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So can I just say, in my opinion, and uh, being a friend of Kwani and watching him grow up and being a surfer, skater, and, you know, that's what I've really loved to do my whole life. And uh, when Kwani was a kid, to see him come on and be in, like, the X Games, he was the world's best ever that we've seen surfer, skateover, crossover athlete, where there's no title for that, there's nobody that will ever give you a medal or honor you in any sort of way, but just as a peer and, you know, somebody that I totally look up to, I can't say that there's been anybody ever better at both sports and his skateboarding ability when he was super young and then seeing him surf, like, you know, that's, that's really hard to do. That takes a lot more than what most people think it sounds like, whatever, but like, Basically, you have to dedicate your life not only to surfing, but to skateboarding as well. And surfing takes already most of your life. And to skateboard at the level he skated at, you know, and to be in the X Games at 12 years old and, you know, be doing McTwists on vert ramps to do any of the tricks like at the park. Like he was the best skater on the North Shore for sure. But um, I just really want to emphasize on how good he was at both because you guys are only going to see his surfing in this clip but to be the skater that he was i mean it just took so much effort and dedication and and to truly be passionate about it and uh you know i know he had his struggles but and i know there's no award for it but man if there could ever be something like that uh he would have definitely been the world champion and been the most progressive in two sports and it's you know obviously sad to see him go but i definitely don't want to let him not get recognized for being the skateboarder and surfer that he really was, which it takes a lot more than just being a surfer or a skater. Yeah. And it was also in a time where people that skateboarded don't really look up to surfing, so you're kind of kooky to skateboarders and then to surfers that are kind of like don't understand it, but man, he really definitely was the world's best at both, and that's a big deal in my opinion, so I'd like to honor him in that sense. I thought that was such a great point when you brought it up when you were speaking, you did a great job speaking the ceremony we had in his honor. But that point really stuck out to me. Just there's so many things that motivate people in life. You know, some people wanna get really rich, some people wanna get famous, some people wanna do this and that and to like you said, it's it's such a small number of people that can appreciate that. And the fact that he did that and he just yeah, what you get there is respect. I think yeah. that it's just it's it's a much different way to live and it's Incredible that he's able to do it like that. Yeah, you would get the Jay Adams Award. Wait, are we going to see Moana Jones in the Olympics at Chopu? Uh, Nate, I know you've been following the ISA World Surfing Games this past week. I was actually informed by Holden because he was writing a piece on it at Fatmos. <laughs> so I am kind of close and I do have, you know, my say. <laughs> cool. Well, let me break down some of the details before we get into that. This event was won by Kanoa Igarashi and Kira Pinkerton. Kanoa... Oh. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Kanoa was surfing for Team Japan, and I saw a funny thing on Instagram where uh, I think it was the ISA congratulating him on Instagram, and the official Instagram account of Huntington Beach, I think it's like Surf City USA or something, said 
great job, like way to rep HB. And I was like, no, he's literally representing a different nation. Like if there's one time to not say that, it's here. Um, so Kanoa won representing Japan, Kira won representing the USA. And why this event was so significant is because they were giving away two slots into the Olympics. And so they knew the best teams were gonna win. USA and Japan are always gonna win their A, always gonna bring their A game. So as we talked about, there's winning here gets you a third slot. Usually you can qualify two surfers per gender, per nation. By winning this, Team USA Women and Team Men Japan have got a third slot into the Olympics at Chopu, and they can choose whoever they want. This person does not have to have put on a jersey to compete once in their life. They can just pick a random person off the street in theory and be like, hey, you're gonna go serve Chopu for the Olympics. So this is wild. And I mean, if you're USA, how would you not choose Moana? I guess is where we're at. But Nate, what are your thoughts? Well, for one, I'm super happy for Jim Pinkerton. He's somebody who I grew up surfing with. and. I don't know if you guys want to put this, but the first time I ever got stoned and went and surfed trussels was with Jim Pinkerton and my brother. Oh, and wow. So, <laughs> was really, he a good surf? It was all right, yeah. I mean, I was super young, and uh, I mean, you don't have to put that. But I just want to say that, like, it really, you know, to see Jim Pinkerton raise his child and have her, you know, win the ISA, that's that's a huge deal. I know Kira Pinkerton charges. I don't really even know her that well. I've met her a couple times, but Jim has been a friend forever. And, Just, it's awesome to see Kira Pinkerton really do so well in this event. But, uh, you know, my my opinion, which doesn't matter, but, you know, I've watched Moana and I feel like she is the best at her in her um, division right now. I know she's like the queen of pipe and this and that. But I just don't want to overlook Bethany Hamilton, really, because mm. I feel like, you know, I know she's older, she's a mother, this and that, but when the waves get to serious conditions like she is really at the highest level of women surfing and you know I, I wouldn't know if they're gonna pick Moana but I've definitely seen Bethany do stuff that's just incredible and you know it's gonna be a hard pick for whoever maybe they won't even have to think about it maybe they'll just pick but like for me like I know if Chopo was eight to ten feet and gnarly <laughs> like I wouldn't you know that's gonna be a hard pick between Moana and Bethany just in my opinion yeah, and it's interesting that there's so many different dynamics and politics to all this, right? Because, first of all, I think the first natural place that the spot would go to is, you know, somebody who's been involved in, like, USA Surfing, ISA, just to, like, give them the sort of benefit of the doubt because they've been there, they've done the hard yards. Then you look at Kira Pinkerton herself, she actually won the spot for the team, so to not give it to her is kind of screwed up in a way as yeah. well. So that's the deal. So it would be somebody else and not Kira? Yeah, it would, it, it, it unless they Kira, pick Kira. It could be Kira. Kira, Kira, Kira. Kira should pick herself, don't you think? I mean, that's just like, hello. <laughs> well, she doesn't get to pick. The USA Surfing gets to pick, so, and the Surfing Federation of Japan, the ones that feed up to the Olympics get to pick. It's their call at the end of the day, and so they can do whatever they want with it. Um, as you know, there's some incredible heavy, like, what's so fascinating about this, like, let's be honest, if this was in Japan in summertime, like, last time, this wouldn't be as fascinating of a story. Like, it'd be like, okay, well, the people who are going to thrive there are probably already doing comps. But, I mean, this is Chopu, where, in the time where it gets swells, like, so they're going to look at heavy water people, you'd imagine, there's some 
really, really gnarly heavy water surfers from Japan, as you know. You see yeah, them on the What about Bahini? Well, she's Tahiti. Oh, she's already in the Olympics. Well, not necessarily, but if she were to qualify, it would be for Tahiti, so they don't have to worry about the, the spots for Team USA. This okay. is only in USA. Anyway. Okay. That would go well, to France anyway, though. So oh, France right. France okay. could be going hard at the spot. Like, there's another ISA Games where this can happen, and so you'd have to imagine, I mean, I bet we're going to see USA and Brazil put in gnarly teams for that one. I think we're going to see, that one's going to be hotter, I feel like. Mm. Maybe people thought it's far away, and it was right after the WSL Finals and all these things, whereas... I think the next one where this spot comes up, we're going to see some crazy, crazy teams. But yeah, interesting strategy. We're a long way out. Yeah, but, but Japan's like, it's like, do you give it to Hiroto Ohara or do you give it to Ryaru Ito, or Ito, who spends his you know, winters on the North Shore? You visited Chopes this year and went mad. Like somebody who probably hasn't done a contest in a while, or if he has, it's not at like the CS level. But if it's, you want somebody to win Chopes, it's probably not Hiroto. Yeah, and that's the funny thing too, because like I think they're gonna naturally want to pick somebody that's already kind of in their system, you know, and surely Hiroto would have come up and you know, he would have he'd be in their programs and he'd he'd know the people, they'd have a connection, whereas like they don't wanna to have to tra track down somebody's number to like, <laughs> you know, you wanna go to the Olympics, like they want something that they probably already have in their system. So is it is this a dumb question, but is the CS what the QS used to be? Yes. Yeah, well, very much so. Roger that. And then there's that um, that Kato Matsuoka guy who has won Wave of the Winter in yeah. Hawaii as well. Like, just loves getting tubed. Probably hasn't served a contest in ten years. Yeah, I mean, you don't want uh, the Japan Serving Federation to have to DM him, and ask him <laughs> if he'd like to do it. Like, I love Nate's call on this one. Like, I think I could spoil this with the Pipe Masters coming up. Bethany's going to be competing in it, and we've already been shooting some stuff with her to air around that and. There's one clip of her, and she's talking about how annoyed she gets when people just focus on her arm thing. She's like, okay, like, I get it, but like, talk about my surfing. And I think that she has proven it. There's like, if she had two arms, we'd be talking about her surfing. Like, flat out, she goes that hard, she surfs so well. Like, her surfing really speaks for itself. You don't have to play up the arm thing. Can we talk about her surfing and her arm? Because I feel like she's actually better, and it makes her a better surfer. And just because it's given her the drive, because I feel like that arm issue that she's talking about, that's not even an issue. I feel like really her surfing, and that's strictly what I was talking about, because I, I've watched, and if you do watch like the uh, backdoor shootout, she went on the biggest, gnarliest wave, took off in the white water on a second reef double up, and then pulled in behind the foam ball and did not make it. But like, you're not seeing other girls do that. Like they're taking off on the section that she got closed out by. But if you go back to that, you're gonna see the difference in how she charges. And so, like the arm thing, you can talk about, but I feel like her surfing and her charging ability is just so far beyond. And, um, and yeah, she does have one arm and that does make it even more spectacular. But if you take away everybody's arms and just look at her rider board and the section she takes off on, it's substantially gnarly and like, I, don't, I guess it's not good to say, but the ball she has and the line she draws is no joke. And uh, that's strictly why I was saying, you know, I wouldn't put it past her to be in the win. I would, she would be a top pick of mine just because I feel like the arm thing doesn't hinder her and it actually makes her thrive harder and go harder. But, you know, I guess people do talk about the arm, but man, she has three children. She's, 
she's the gnarliest chick in the world. And, and it's not just because of that, but that just makes her that much gnarlier. You know, where it's, it's absolutely incredible. And that's another thing. I really hate people to look at that point and say, oh, we don't want that because of this. Because I've witnessed it with my own eyes and seen what she's done and what she's capable of. And, you know, I know Moana's truly the best great surfer. You know, she's, you know, it's her time right now. But in my opinion, man, Bethany is just such a champion in all all levels that, uh, and I would give it to her personally, and then I would give it to Moana because Moana's still a little young, right? Yeah. Well, I I don't think that the person who has to make that decision, they're probably listening, and so now you have to because <laughs> you just laid it out like that. So, uh, Bethany, welcome to the Olympics. <laughs> serious COVID revenge this year. Um, it's been a while since I think a lot of people have taken trips like this to Indonesia, and it's definitely been a while since people have taken trips to Europe. So we wanted to spruce up the memory for the surfing public, and there's no better person to do that than Paul Evans. So he wrote this piece, which is just an overview of the greatest hits, but written in a way that only Paul can do. And then he also wrote one called The Best Euro Surf Trips That Mightn't Be On Your Radar, which is a must-read if you've ever wanted to go get real stoned and surf in the Netherlands or know about some stuff in Ireland. So give him a read. In the meantime, Nate, your thoughts on Europe surf trips? Well, basically for me, like Europe, you know, it's super nice and it's the, the countryside, the people. But I'm just gonna say you're really nothing in Europe without the locals. And the reason why that is, is because they have, you know, the uh, 14 foot coefficiency in the tide. The tide swings are so crazy that you could be somewhere and you could think it's the worst spot ever. In an hour and a half, it's just firing. And then another hour and a half after that, it's over. And so like when I was young or younger, there was like Maurice Cole, he would be in, you know, the hospital area. But if you don't know the bars and what time the bars are good on what tide, like you could be right down the street from just the firing the sandbar in the world and you could be surfing like some reform and then by the time you figure it out, it's done. So for me, I would remember we would be at one place, we'd get in our suits, we'd paddle out before the tide got good and then we'd be out while it was good and then as soon as it started to uh, turn off a little bit, you'd jump in the car, in your suit, drive up the beach, get to the next spot, then surf there while the tide was gonna be good at that spot, and then get back in the car in your suit, and then drive past the spot you were just at down the way. And we would be hitting perfect waves for the, you know, most of the day. And if you would have just been there on a vacation, walked up and looked out in front, like at Cabraton or Hasegor, you would have surfed and just had fun. But if you have local knowledge and understanding of what the bars are doing and when they're good, it can literally make like an average okay trip into like an insane barrel fest. And, it's super weird because there's nowhere else in the world that I feel is that particular on the tides. And I guess it's because of the sand and the coefficiency that, you know, makes it such a hard place to like really get dialed in. But if you can get in with a local who knows, and for me, we would watch Maurice Cole, but like Laurent Pujol, he's one of my best friends and 
you know, bless his heart, he just won an Emmy for their 100-foot uh, wave series. But he was one person that would take me around, and, and we would literally get perfect waves. And the other thing about Europe is what I've noticed is it will get stormy for like a day, super bad, the waves will come in, and then the next day will be like big and bouncy, but the storm's kind of gone. And then by the third day, it'll be clean in the morning, offshore with still some swell, and then it'll be super small the next day. And next thing you know, you got it like on the fourth or fifth day, you got a big storm coming and it repeats itself. And so it's like maybe once a week, you get one day that's really good. And then the rest is like either stormy or small, the sunny. But uh, it definitely comes down to like having the local knowledge compared to like Chopo or the North Shore or you know different surf destinations like you can kind of show up at pipeline and sunset nine in the morning and like once the trades kick in the tide's not barely going to change and you know you're going to surf pretty much the best time of the day but that's not the same in europe and then especially if you go south of the border and you're going to go like say mundaka or something it's it's so tidal that uh it's really interesting how on it you got to be and this was even like before real surf forecasting, you know, where it was like, yeah, you just had to know. And now you can kind of know just on the forecast, but to know the bars and know the tide is just so crucial in Europe to have, or for, you know, Southern Southwest Europe. Yeah, I mean, that gets way harder too. I mean, it's hard enough in France, but you go to Ireland where a lot of spots there, you have to kind of drive pretty far to get to. It's like, you know, just not as easy access. There's not one road that just, looks overlooks the entire ocean like all of us wish existed everywhere um and so that's even more hectic you need to be able to crew there because if not you'll just yeah like you said you look at a section of the ocean like this can't ever be a wave and then three hours later it might be off its head um mikey have you ever been on a Eurosurf trip never oh, i've never boy. never touched the uh eastern atlantic wow do you want to i would love to are you Isn't kidding that where your roots are from yeah well, I guess that's more the Mediterranean, but yeah, I've I've never done it. I would I would love to, especially this time of year, October. That's kind of the, the time, right? You get the the nice swells start coming in, the nice offshore winds. Um, seems like a dream, honestly. So it's on the bucket list. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, right now as we're recording this, awful time, just a weird stretch of storms. But as Nate said, they come and go, especially this time of year. Winter they can linger longer, but yeah, it's a great place. It's just there's not many surf trips i mean here is all about the waves you go here it's the best waves in the world and like obviously the people are so friendly they're so nice and you get to learn about their culture and learn about them um and eat different food and do all that and dodge and machete wars dodge machete wars as we have been doing this entire trip but yeah europe just what it offers outside the water too it's just like there's so much going on outside millions of people go there every year to experience that without surfboards so it's just one of those trips you can really combine um waves with whatever it is you want to do on land so surfing and culture surfing i and feel culture. like you're really opened up to like when you're going to the wineries and seeing where they make the wine and eating the food there's no culture that's really as rich as that i feel like it's close to the beach you know especially like in the basque country if you can experience some of that um you know, the whole, even just the close mountain, that's another thing. You can go to like uh, Hasegor Baritz and you can be in the Pyrenees Mountains snowboarding like super good powder and it's only an hour and a half away. And so in between the, you know, the mountains and the beach, it's like the craziest culture 
that uh, really you see as far as like, you know, European farming. Um, they just really have like an old culture and being from America, we don't really see that. You have buildings that are 400 years old that are still operating like banks and such. And, you know, I, I don't know how old the oldest building is in America, but you can just see it in the architecture and the people and, you know, the food, the whole thing. And so I really got opened up a lot to just a different sort of culture when I went to Europe. Yeah. And I surfed a lot of good waves and met a lot of cool people, one of my best friends still to this day. Come on over and uh, when you get the tide wrong, just have some wine. Too. <laughs> Buddy, surf sin time. Surf sin. Surf sin. We have one here. It's from a man named Blake, and it's one of those ones that's going to inspire thoughts. Um, it's one of those ones that you're going to listen to, and if you haven't yet thought of it, you're going to just keep it in the back of mind, and there might be a chance for you to pull it up someday. Let's hear it. Let's hear from Blake. Hey, what's up, Buck and Mikey? Uh, my name is Blake, and I have a, a surf sin I need to get off my chest. I've been thinking about. So a couple weeks back, I was surfing uh, right before work, and it was at a spot that normally has a decent crowd to it. And this morning, it was particularly fun waves, and the crowd kind of dissipated quickly after I got out there, so it was kind of nice. And so I was stoked. I was out there having some fun ones. And uh, this guy paddles out, or this kid, you know, he's maybe 19 or 20 years old, and, you know, there's no problem, you know, sharing the waves and having some good ones back and forth. And um, the problem is he kept kind of paddling straight to the peak and would take off on, uh, you know, on some of the, the better ones of the day, or the session at least. And, you know, he'd fall on them and, you know, whatever, you know, have a couple missteps and whatnot. But then he kept doing it. He just kept paddling to the peak and kind of, know not knowing his his way in the order and so I was uh I was getting a little annoyed at this point and so you know what I did instead of being kind of confrontational or something or snaking them or anything um I just um you know I didn't give him a stink eye or anything at this point but he kind of paddles by me he's like hey man you have the time and not being rude or anything you know acting totally passive aggressive I go oh yeah of course man I look at my watch and it was 755 uh and I told him, I was like, oh, yeah, it's 8.15. And then he's like, okay, yeah, cool, man, thanks. And then he turns around, catches the next little tiny wave in, you know, see him paddle straight to the beach. And I'm like, well, oh. and uh, had kind of the fun for the rest of the session. Um, kind of add insult to injury, too, that this beach, it's not really, uh, you know, the closest to your car. And so he... You know, kind of had a got. You know, by the time he got to his car, he probably was a little bummed because he couldn't go back out for those. You know, twenty minutes. I kind of shorted him. So yeah, tell tell me what I need to do. I've thought about this many, many a times. I used to be a big watch wearer. Oh yeah, sometimes if you're like the timekeeper for the lineup, that's like a thing. You get targeted. Yeah. You get targeted. Yeah, it's that is actually a really funny dynamic. Like when you know you have something to do or whatever, and you are you, you feel like it's maybe getting close to that time that you have to go in, and then you just start scanning the lineup. And who who do you think is the person that's typically wearing the watch? Like how would you describe them? Well, one thing I want to call out immediately is that if you do take a Euro surf trip, first read the articles. Two, you wear a watch out there. 
people are going to ask you in their language. So immediate way to expose yourself as a non-local is to not know how to appropriately respond to somebody asking you that. So keep up on that. A little bit of learning you need to do to just put yourself in a good spot there. Anyway, watch where it's hard because I want to make fun and be like, oh, you wear a watch, you're fucking dickus. But like, I wear watches all the time. I found that if I'm not wearing a watch and I have something I need to come in for, like I have a meeting or just some sort of time where I know I can't surf past that time, I would always underestimate it. Mm -hmm. So I figured out by wearing a watch, it would actually make me surf longer because I wouldn't have that anxiety of like, oh shit, it's getting a bit late. So I'm a watch guy. I'm gonna get this sweet Casio off Amazon that shows the moon phases too. It's like 20 bucks, it looks sweet. I haven't got it yet. So it's like a rip off tide watch? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it shows, it shows when the moon is full and not too. So, oh, like so you know when the tides are moon. big, you just don't yeah. know when the high, yeah, tides like are said, higher. Yeah, big tides in Europe, big tides. So um, I'm a big watch guy. You may not have saw that coming, but I'm in. Wow. Um, no tan line, though. That was why I abandoned mine at age like 12 or whatever. I just couldn't stand the tan line. So you're a non-watch. I don't think anybody would have pegged this coming into this. Yeah, no. I, I, you'd think that I was like full GPS, like go and track all my stats. but Or maybe even the Apple Watch with the Surfline Rewind cam, but no, not, wow. not part of it. Yeah, nobody would have seen this coming. But okay, me and Blake, we're out there doing the good work, being timekeepers for the lineup. Um, this is an infraction. It's a minor infraction, but it's still a surf sim. You can't lie to somebody's face knowingly. Um, it was smart, it was clever, well played, but it's a sin. Uh, Mikey, penance? Um, I'm gonna let you go first on this one. Okay. So again, minor, I'm not gonna go too hard on him. All he needs to do is put himself on the flip side of that equation, not by trying to you know, somehow coerce somebody into telling him the wrong time, but I want him to experience just the awkwardness of asking for time in the water, have a little interaction, but as it's a sin, we need to one-up it a bit. So his penance is to one day, just somebody that's surfing well, not like, don't let them think it's you're taking the piss out of them, but somebody who's surfing pretty well, you just have to paddle up and ask them, how much time is left in our heat? <laughs> um, if they get confused, you have to just like, you can't say like, like I don't know, deal with it I guess, but you have to look and like, not jokingly, don't be like, oh, you're trying to surf real hard, like how much time is left in the heat, bro? Just like, ask somebody to be as earnest as possible and just paddle up and be like, hey, you know how much time is left in the heat? And just, I don't know, it'd be funny, so do that. Okay, okay, I like that, I enjoy that. What do you think the response would be? I don't know, what would you do? Like, I would, I would think that somebody's making fun of me, but I, I rarely feel like I surf like I'm in a heat. So I would think that they're just making a joke that I really don't get. So I personally, I would just kind of smile and nod and be like, yeah, like 15 minutes. Like, and just be like, what the fuck is wrong with that guy? Um, what would you do if somebody asked you that? Uh, yeah, I would probably take them up on the proposition and try to go forward to the shore. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't know, it's just such a weird one. Somebody's just gonna be so confused by this man. Yeah. Um, tough one to document, so we'll give you some slack there. But yeah, that's that's my penance, Blake. Okay. Heal up. Well, mine is going to be time-related as well. It's gonna be a little different. So we've been here doing Van Stab High, presented by Monster Energy, and every morning we've had a call around like 6.30 or 7 to see if we're gonna run. And that means that if I want to surf, uh, at least in the sort of first half of the day, my best option is to go at first light. So this whole trip, pretty much, 
I've been setting my alarm for 5 a.m., hoping to get the kind of clean morning conditions. Sometimes it's worked, sometimes it's happened. But I've been up every morning at 5, which is pretty much like 30 minutes before first light. Mm-hmm. So my surf sin is just really simple. For a week straight, regardless of conditions, you've got to set your alarm an hour, or sorry, 30 minutes before first light, and you've got to go at least check the waves. In real life, you can't, you can't pull up a cam. You've got to actually like be eyes on the ocean. You only have to surf four of the days, but you have to be looking at the ocean for all seven. And I think if you find yourself at the beach, you're probably going to paddle out. Yeah, that's great. See, I feel like we nailed it this one because sometimes we probably go a little bit over the top. Um, both achievable and not that unpleasant. Like what you're describing, that's just a great excuse to go live like that for a little bit. Yeah, so, you might even find that it makes you a better, happier person. Yeah, so people, sometimes we just give you good advice. Okay, submit surf sins, we'll heal you, we'll get you on the program, and uh, our emails are in the show notes. Hit us up. Buck says that, but I'm the one that does the show notes, and I never actually put them in there. So they're actually Mike at stabmag.com and Buck at stabmag.com if you want to submit a surf sin. They're definitely in the show notes. Thank you, as always, for listening to The Drop. We will be back next week with all the latest surf news. Actually, I won't be back. Um, I'm going to go on a little vacation, believe it or not. It's been a minute, but um, yeah, I'm going to be taking a break from the podcast. So Buck is going to figure out who will join him next week. It may be Stace, it may be Danny, it may be somebody totally different that you've never heard from. So I'll let them figure that out. But uh, yeah, I'll miss you guys, and I'll probably be on for two weeks. But after that, we're straight back into it. So um, yeah, over and out.